Fish Bites Podcast is back. I'm your host, Aram Layton. Opening days around the corner, and the Marlins will be taking on the Cubs. That's why I have Al Yellen from Bleed Cubby Blue, the Cubs SB Nation affiliate. Al, thanks for being on. Thanks for having me. So it's been a crazy offseason for the Marlins. Uh, a lot of fans haven't even been able to keep up with other teams. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about what, what went on with the Cubs? Of course, the most notable move being letting Arietta go and bringing in Darvish. Uh, can you tell us what fans, how fans feel about letting a fan favorite like Arietta go and replacing him with an all-star pitcher like Darvish? You know, it's been a crazy offseason for just about everybody. And you know how long it took for even even a kind of a minor free agent to be signed. And, you know, every Cubs fan loves Jake Arietta. He threw two no-hitters. He had the most amazing season maybe ever for any Cubs pitcher in 2015. He was great in the World Series for the Cubs. But, I, you know, it became clear towards the middle of last season with a couple of contracts extensions offered and not accepted that it probably wasn't going to happen for him to to stay on. He got a great ovation when he left the last game that he pitched in the championship series last year. I think all, most Cubs fans kind of figured he was gone. And, you know, once Hugh Darvish was signed, uh, Theo Epstein said that he was their number one target, that they identified what they wanted to get. And they went and traveled to his home in Dallas. They conducted a three and a half hour interview, which Darvish did all in English, which was pretty impressive. And it, it took about a month after that or a month and a half until he actually signed. And based on what I've seen from him in spring training, he's a great fit for this team. He's ready to go. Um, you know, he and, he and Jake Arrieta are almost exactly the same age. But I think the Cubs determined that they thought that Darvish was going to be a better pitcher going forward than Jake Arrieta was. And, and, and everything I've seen from him in spring training says he's ready to go. I'm very excited to see him pitch. And kind of segue that into the rotation Tyler Chatwood was also acquired and you also have the guys returning of you know John Lester and Jose Quintana what can you tell me about Lester he he really struggled last year he was a victim of the home run surge that we saw in the MLB uh he really looked like he might be aging his velocity was down his fastball was absolutely crushed I think an opponent's hit about 280 against his four-seamer he is 34 years old do you think he's starting to run out of gas, or can he have a bounce-back season at 34? Well, I think we're going to, have to see a bounce-back season from John Lester. Uh, John Lester did have some minor injury issues last year, did spend a little bit of time on the disabled list. So, you know, that may have been bothering him much of the season. He had an outstanding year in 2016. He's looked good in spring training. Um, he needs to – he just needs to go get back to the previous level, and I think he'll be able to do that. Staying healthy is obviously the most important thing. Uh, you mentioned Tyler Chatwood, who uh, you know has not had great numbers pitching for the Rockies, but one thing that that Chatwood has done is he's always pitched much better outside of Coors Field than he did in uh, in Coors Field. So you know we're looking for him now that he has Wrigley Field as his home park instead of having to pitch at altitude in Denver, that he'll be a, a much uh, much better pitcher overall. Cosa uh, Quintana has been solid since the Cubs got him from the White Sox, and now they have the advantage of having him having had him through a whole spring training camp and, you know, getting with the new pitching coach, Jim Hickey, uh, and getting all everything together with that. Uh, Quintana had a couple of games uh, for the Cubs late last year that were just absolutely outstanding. He threw a, a complete game shutout over the Brewers over in the season's final weekend. That was you know, one of the, uh, uh, the games that the Cubs needed to clinch the division title. And I noticed that you left out, you know, the guy who is really my favorite pitcher on the Cubs staff, Kyle Hendricks. Uh, Kyle Hendricks does not throw hard. He Rarely breaks 90 miles an hour with his fastball, but he just knows how to pitch. He will set up his changeup with that fastball, and guys know the changeup is coming, and 
they know how fast about how fast it's going to go, and they still can't hit it. It's just when he's on, you know, they call him the professor. Uh, it's it's a joy to watch him pitch. And he was a victim of uh, some injury problems last year as well, if I'm not mistaken. Um, kind of easy to overlook him because, like you said, he doesn't flash that you know high 90s fastball, but he just gets out. It's almost like a I'd hate to compare him to Greg Maddox, but he kind of has that type of poise to him. Um, which makes him pretty impressive. I, I completely overlooked him. You're completely right. And uh, can we talk about the bullpen a little bit? Obviously, Wade Davis departs. That's you know an elite closer in the MLB. You bring in some guys like Brandon Morrow uh, and a few others. Who do you think will be the closer this year? And uh, who, who are some candidates otherwise? Well, the Cubs did sign Brandon Morrow to close. I mean, they're paying him $12 million a year. That's not setup man money. Uh, he had a great year for the Dodgers. He has not closed in several years since he was in Seattle. But I think the Cubs are confident that he can do the job. And if he can't for any reason, they have Steve Ciszek, who they also signed to a free agent deal. Ciszek has been a closer before, as you certainly know. Um, and he can he can take over. He has the right mindset for closing, closing work. They also have Pedro Strope, who's mainly been a setup man in his career. But Strope has good velocity and has been a solid setup man. And Carl Edwards Jr., who, as long as CJ can get, avoid too many walks, he's got a great fastball and the right attitude on the mound. So they have guys who can close if Morrow can't, but I think they're expecting him to be able to do it. And before and we get, before into, we get into, into, the lineup, into the line, I wanted to talk a little bit about, about the, uh, the farm system. So the, the farm system is ranked 28th now. Um, something that the Cubs have usually been in the top 10 to top five in the league uh, in terms of the level of prospects that they boast. Obviously, the Cubs are in win-now mode. Um, how do Cubs fans feel about completely depleting that farm system going all-in in 2018? And is that something that's of a concern uh, for the future? Because the Marlins obviously in our complete opposite position right now. Well, you have to remember this. You know, The Cubs, as you know, as you mentioned, did have a, a top-ranked farm system for several years. But they have graduated so many great prospects to becoming really good major league players. I mean, they have five consecutive number one draft picks who are contributing major league players. It's Javier Baez, Albert Amora Jr., Chris Bryant, Kyle Schwarber, and Ian Happ. All came through the system. All have become good to great major league players. I mean, that's a rare thing rare thing to do. Plus, they have another guy who was the number one pick of another team, Addison Russell, who they acquired in trade. So this is a, this is a great – you know, a great crop of, of farm system players who have been graduated to the system. Also, they use some of the depth in the system to trade for players who have helped them win. They traded away Glaber Torres, who is now, you know, on the cusp of becoming a starter with the Yankees uh, to get a role as Chapman. The Cubs probably don't win the World Series without a role as Chapman. So, you know, it, to me, it doesn't matter if, if Glaber Torres makes 10 all-star teams. It doesn't matter because the Cubs won the World Series. Then they traded uh, Eloy Jimenez and Dylan Cease to the White Sox for Jose Quintana. Uh, Eloy Jimenez looks like he's the real deal. He's going to be a really good, solid major league player, if not a star. But the Cubs got three and a half years of Jose Quintana at below market rates. And if they win another World Series or two within the three years that are left on Quintana's contract, that's also worth it. So the Cubs are in a situation, like you say, they're in win now more. But not more than that, they've got basically the core of this team is together for at least the next two years and most of them will be together for the next four years. 
So in that four-year period, we work on rebuilding the depth in the farm system while they're going to win at the major league level. So they, they're now looking at what Theo Epstein calls parallel tracks to both winning in the major leagues and then rebuilding the farm system for when they either have to sign that young core to long-term contracts or they leave as free agents. Well, that's interesting you bring up that Chapman move, uh, giving up Gleyber Torres. It reminds me a lot of in 2003 when the Marlins found themselves in contention. Right around the deadline, they parted with a young prospect named Adrian Gonzalez in order to get a closer in uh, Uguith Urbina, who uh, is in prison, I think, now. But he was a huge played a huge part in that 2003 World Series run, and it could be argued that the Marlins may not have won that World Series without him. So, yes, uh, Adrian Gonzalez went on to – be a perennial all-star but it's hard to argue against a move like that when you win a world series title so, exactly that's exactly. what it's all about you can make a move like that and you win it's always worth it always no matter what the player you give up does yeah you, you can't contest that so going into the lineup um it's very similar to last year um not much has changed you have you know ian hat now coming in after Starting a little late last year, and he's expected to be one of the main outfielders. He's not going to probably play the infield much anymore. Opens up the spot for Javier Baez, who struggled last year. Tell me a little bit about the lineup and what Cubs fans are expecting out of some of those fringe guys that struggled a little bit last year, like Kyle Schwarber, Javier Baez, and and Ian Happ, who is trying to avoid a sophomore slump. Well, Ian Happ, as you mentioned, had, had a pretty solid rookie season. He kind of went back and forth between second base, center field, left field. He's going to primarily be the center fielder this year. He came into camp wanting to win the leadoff spot in the batting order, and he produced. He had five leadoff home runs in spring training. Can't argue with that. So at least for now, he will be the Cubs' leadoff man. Although you know Joe Madden likes to mix and match, you will see other guys lead off. You know, depending on certain matchups. I'm going to I'm going to quibble with you a little bit about Javier Baez. Javier Baez actually had a very good year last year. He had 23 home runs. Yes, he still strikes out a lot. Yes, he still swings and misses at pitches that are like 10 feet out of the strike zone. But he really kind of took a step forward last year in terms of power. His defense is, you know, almost beyond compare. He will be the regular second baseman this year, although he did play some shortstop last year. He can play all over the infield. And this is one thing that will allow Joe Madden to, to give his guys some rest. You know, if he wants to give Addison Russell a day off, Baez can move over to shortstop. Ben Zobras can play second base. Hap can play second base. Tommy Lestella can play second base. Uh, Baez can play third base if, if they want to give Chris Bryant a day off. So that's one of the reasons that Joe likes to have versatile players who can play multiple positions. Absolutely. And and I guess I, for some reason, tend to think Baez struggles when I look at his strikeout numbers. But you're right. He still did hit over a 270 clip and did make some strides at the plate. Uh, do you think Schwarber can, can turn things around? He did hit for power last year, obviously struggled – to consistently get on base. There's been reports that he's slimmed down at spring training. What can you tell me about Schwarber and what you've seen so far? Well, Kyle Schwarber had a terrible first half, and they installed him in the leadoff spot, which probably was a mistake. He just couldn't hit at all. They wound up sending him to AAA for three weeks. After he came back from AAA, he hit very well. He hit for almost a 900 OPS. And as you say, he wound up hitting 30 home runs. Into spring training, people didn't recognize him. I mean, really didn't recognize him. He looked like a totally different person. Lost 30 pounds. Got into great shape. Uh, he's he's much better. He's a much better left fielder than he was. He's uh, takes much better routes to balls, and he's really looks. He, he he's never going to be a great outfielder, but he looks like he can at least be a, an average major league left fielder. And with that kind of offense, 
Um, I think that he will he'll certainly be a solid contributor. He may he still struggles a bit against left-handed pitching, so you may see some mix and match there when the Cubs face certain left-handers. But I look for Kyle Schwarber to maybe have a breakout season this year. Absolutely, I can I can one hundred percent see that too. And the Marlins have made the NL Central better almost alone <laughs> in terms of some of the players that they've dealt out, trading Yelich to the Brewers, uh, Ozuna to the Cardinals. How do you feel about the Cubs stacking up against other teams in the NL Central? They've all kind of made moves to improve this year. One thing that I don't understand about the Brewers is that yes, they you know they got Christian Yelich from the Marlins, which will improve them. They signed Lorenzo Cain as a free agent, you know, the guy who used to be with the Brewers and his return. So they they got a couple of big name players for their lineup. They didn't really address their biggest problem, which is their starting rotation. Uh, you know, the Brewers are going to miss. They're going to be without Jimmy Nelson until at least June. Uh, Chase Anderson probably pitched over his head a little bit last year. So, and they, their fourth and fifth spots are kind of up for grabs. So, you know, there were free agents out there to sign. There were guys, I mean, they have a glut of outfielders. They could have traded a couple of their outfielders to get some pitching help, and they didn't do it. It's kind of mystifying. Um, I'm not really sure where the Brewers are headed. The Cardinals offense is definitely going to be improved by the addition of Marcel Zuna. He's a great hitter. And I certainly don't look forward to him hitting against Cubs pitching. Uh, the Cardinals seem to have, you know, this, this magic pixie fairy dust that they um, that they sprinkle on on their franchise, and suddenly they win. It, they, they wind up winning when nobody expects them to. So, you know, I don't know. The Cardinals and Cubs rivalry has always been a great one. It's better when both teams are good. So, you know, I look, always look forward to those games. Yeah, the NL Central seems to be the division to watch for me so far this year. Of course, the AL East with the Yankees and Red Sox is always interesting as well. Tell me what the other divisions and what you guys are thinking about the, the NL East now. I know the NL East is going through a transitional phase uh, as the Marlins are too. The Phillies are starting to shift into win-now mode with the signing of Arietta, of course, going out and getting Carlos Santana. Uh, the Nationals are always the Nationals. What are, what's the opinion on the NL East from an outsider's perspective? The way I look at it is that this year looks like you know it looks like the Nationals will probably run away with the division again as they did last year. They have a new manager, so that'll be an adjustment for them. But you know, Dave Martinez was bench coach under Joe Madden for a long time. It was always uh, thought that he would make a good manager. Now he's finally getting his chance to do it. Everybody seems to think very highly of him, so that that should be a, a good thing for Washington. You know, they are kind of in, in a transition, too, because Bryce Harper is a free agent after this year. Whether he stays in Washington or goes somewhere else will tell you a lot about the direction of that team. As you say, the Phillies you know, have improved themselves with the signing of Jake Arrieta. They've got a pretty good offense, the Phillies. You know, signing of Arrieta might even make them into marginal wildcard contenders if they can, if they can kind of put things together. Uh, the Atlanta Braves are still kind of rebuilding. They've got a lot of good young players on that team, but they're still probably a couple of years away. And, you know, the Mets are the Mets. They they will win if that pitching staff stays healthy, and they've rarely stayed healthy. So, you know, who knows? You know, two, year, two years ago or, or three years ago, the Mets are in the World Series, and uh, the last couple of years they've, they've had struggles, and mostly because the pitching staff can't stay healthy. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, last but not least, the Marlins, uh, they're going through a very tough phase for fans right now. Fans feel a little bit betrayed. It's another fire sale, a lot are saying. It's kind of been the narrative from the national media. Obviously, Jeter and company are trying to make it clear that it's different than what it's been in the past with Jeffrey Loria in terms of the overhaul of the farm system and just starting over and kind of giving a, a fresh start and a blank slate for this new ownership. 
what is once again an outsider's perspective on specifically the Marlins and and what do you think about what the Marlins are doing so far I for one I'm a big fan of some of the pieces that they've acquired I think a, a fire sale was necessary I actually don't even like the word or the phrase fire sale I do think a restructuring was necessary and I do think this is something that had to be done. I mean from from an outsider's point of view I'm just I'm absolutely mystified to be honest with you at, at what uh, what Derek Jeter and his group have done. You know, it was pointed out by a couple of people uh during the offseason that um you know the Marlins won won right, right, 77 games last year and they were sort of in wild card contention until August when they they fell they fell kind of fell down in the standings. But you know they had they got they had quite a few good players there. I mean, you know, besides the two they traded, with, the two we've talked about already. You know, Jim Carlos Stanton is is a great great hitter, and you know there were some who thought you know if the Marlins had wanted to spend some money, they could have signed Jake Arrieta and you Darvish, and they would have been a wild card contender. So you know, but is that a short term band aid? I don't know. Um, the question I, I would have to ask, I guess, then is, and I'm not as familiar with the pieces that were acquired in the trades as you are. Are, are these pieces good enough so that they can become a contender, let's say, in two or three years, like the other teams that have done teardowns, like the Cubs, like the Astros? You know, will that same thing work for the Marlins? I mean, maybe it will. Well, that's why I kind of wanted to pick your brain, because the Cubs and the Astros are two of the biggest success stories in terms of what the Marlins are doing right now in the teardowns and restructuring. I, when it comes to, you know, the, the, there's been a common narrative, you know, the Marlins were a couple pitchers away. I, it's, it's a great point, and the Marlins really were a couple pitchers away. But with the passing of Jose Fernandez, I, I, I think it kind of set the franchise back beyond repair, where they were perpetually in debt, didn't really have money to go get those pitchers, a lot handcuffed by a lot of bad contracts and Wei-Yin Chen, uh, Brad Ziegler, uh, among others. Martin Prado is another tough contract and Stanton interestingly enough was was a pretty difficult contract to deal with I don't think anyone can ever play to a 300 million dollar contract and with that whole situation uh you know coming to the forefront with the new ownership I just think it was something that they really couldn't win with and really kind of like I said handcuffed them what do you what specifically made the Cubs and Astros rebuild so successful in your opinion, other than uh, the obvious being the prospects being successful, but what was there some sort of method that the two had in common or was it just prospects panning out? Well, I mean, one thing that Theo Epstein said he was going to do and he did, he said that in the draft, he was going to focus on hitters and obtain pitching by trades or free agency. And that's exactly what he did. You know, look at some of the pitchers that have been drafted. You know, for example, the year the Cubs took Chris Bryant, uh, with the number two overall pick, the number one overall pick was Mark Appel. <laughs> you know, obviously that obviously that worked. You know, if the if the, uh, if the Astros take Chris Bryant, you know, I don't think the actually I don't think the Cubs would have taken a Mark Appel with the second pick. I think they would have taken John Gray. That would have probably worked out all right. John Gray is a, a decent major league pitcher, but obviously Chris Bryant, you know, has had much more impact on the Cubs franchise. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, the Cubs now have five consecutive number one picks who are not only in the major leagues but are you know, good to excellent major league players in Baez, Almora, Bryant, Schwarber, and Happ. I mean, what other team has that? And, you know, so that, that's what the Cubs have done. They've gone ahead and, and built from within uh, with hitters, and then they've signed or traded for pitchers, you know, like Lester, like um, Jose Quintana. And, in fact, Kyle Hendricks came in a trade. He came in a trade for Ryan Dempster when they started the teardown. 
uh, when he was a prospect in the Texas Rangers organization. So that you know, that's how the Cubs did it. The the Astros, I'm not as familiar with with them, of course, but they also had some really good luck in the draft with uh, with Alex Bregman and George Springer, and then of course they had Jose Altuve before the teardown, and he, you know, I don't know that anybody would have thought he was going to be this good, but those three guys are obviously the centerpiece of that team. So I guess in terms of what the Marlins uh, need to do over the next couple of years is identify those kinds of players that they can draft and hope that they get lucky as the Cubs and, and, uh, and Astros have done. And I mean, I'm as big of a Theo Epstein fan as anyone, but how much do you think of the Cubs success is attributed to luck in regards to when Jake Arrieta was acquired, he wasn't a very high level prospect. He wasn't even a prospect at that point anymore. He was already what, 26 years old and uh, not really doing that well for the Orioles. And same thing with, Kyle Hendricks, he was not a, a high-level prospect, and both of those guys ended up being top-of-the-rotation types of pitchers. Uh, for, the, for the rest of the players, they were mostly top prospects, but how much do you think was attributed to luck, and how much do you think it's just Theo Epstein being a magician? Well, I'm going to give you a third choice here, and that's excellent scouting because uh, you know obviously excellent scouting is what brought the Cubs – Jake Arrieta, they they had a scout who said, you know, get this guy and we can, you know, we can turn him into a good pitcher. And they gave him almost nothing to get him. And they also got Pedro Strope in that deal. So they, they got not only five years of Jake Arrieta, but they got five plus years of a really solid major league setup, man, that, you know, that could turn out to be one of the best trades in Cubs franchise history. Um, there, there's more than, to it than just that. Also, I think at the end of 2014, the Cubs were, um, you know, kind of on the cusp. They had improved from from 66 wins to 73. And I thought it still might be a couple of years until they contended. But for me, the one biggest factor in how they in, in how they turned this around is Joe Madden. Um, you know, Joe Madden got dropped in their laps when he exercised his out clause in Tampa. And Joe Madden, more than any other person, has transformed the clubhouse culture for the Cubs and got these guys to believe in themselves to buy into his message. I don't think John Lester comes to the Cubs if Joe Madden wasn't the manager, because I think that hiring Joe Madden sent a signal to John Lester that, you know, Hey, we've got this, we've got this good manager who's been to the world series. We want to win right now. I think if Joe Madden isn't signed, I think John Lester's the San Francisco giant right now because he was Buster Posey went to John Lester's house and knocked on his door and said, I want to be your catcher for the next six years. That's a true story. They lived near each other in, in, in the Atlanta area. So, but I think that having Joe Madden was one of the things that convinced John Lester to sign with the Cubs. And Madden has, I, I, Madden's the best Cubs manager in 85 years. Um, of course, that's not a high bar to hurdle in some cases, but you know, the, the, what he has done for this franchise is, is just, you know, you, you can't say enough about what Joe Madden has done. And I believe that when he's retired, he's going to the hall of fame. And I mean, Joe Madden is very unconventional and, and a very exciting manager. And I think I, when I saw the Cubs ended up, you know, bringing him in, it was around the time the whole team was starting to get exciting to watch. It, it seemed like a really good move and it's definitely panned out. Let's talk opening day for a little bit. So Jose Urania is going to be on the bump for the Marlins. Um, I'm not sure how much you know about him. He, he Advanced metrics are not very kind to him. Uh, attribute a lot of the season last year to luck. But the, uh, the Marlins seemed to play the Cubs pretty tough at home last year, did all right, held their own against Chicago. Uh, how are Cubs feeling going into a, 
an opening day series in Miami on ESPN, thanks to the Cubs, of course, but Marlins fans will take what they can get. But how, how are they feeling going into a series against one of the teams that's probably considered the worst team in the MLB? I mean, you, you can't go in, you know, either as fans or as, certainly as players, you can't go into any four-game series thinking, you know, this team is terrible and we're going to sweep them. That's not the way – that's not the right attitude to have. You know, Jose Urena is a pretty good pitcher. He, uh, last June, he threw six shutout innings against the Cubs in, in Miami. So, you know, he certainly looked impressive on that on that day. And, you know, he put up pretty good numbers overall. You know, I know the Marlins would, would probably rather have Dan Straley as their opening day starter. He had a pretty good year for, for them last year, and I know he's not going to make opening day. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm sure the Cubs are going in there think, you know, thinking that, you know, this is a good place to open. It's, in, you know, it, you don't have to worry about starting in Chicago where it can be cold at the end of March and they can play in, you know, climate-controlled conditions or if they have the roof open in warm weather. And they, you know, they just go in looking to ha- looking to have a have a good series on the road before they move on to play a couple of divisional opponents in Cincinnati and Milwaukee. And uh, for for the Marlins, it's always exciting when the Cubs come to town. There's always a, a great showing of fans, and uh, it's pretty it's pretty electric in the ballpark. It kind of brings more out of the Marlins fans when you have that many Cubs fans there. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. And like I said, to have the Marlins on national television is always nice. And I always like to go into predictions at the end. And um, I, honestly, I have the Cubs as my World Series pick. Um, I know a lot of people have the Yankees. I think as, as scary as that lineup is, I think there's way too many strikeouts in that lineup. I think they can go very cold for a very long time, especially in a seven-game series. I could see them easily becoming stagnant in the hitters' parks, trying to put up runs. I like the balance of the Cubs lineup. I like the rotation, especially if Lester bounces back like you say he can and like you think he will. Uh, what's your prediction on how the Cubs will fare and just uh, the MLB season in general? I'd love to hear it. Before I get to that prediction, I just want to let you know the Cubs just finished playing two exhibition games against the Red Sox in Fort Myers where the place was basically overrun with Cubs fans. So I, I, there are a lot of people, I guess, who plan to go to those two games and then head over to Miami for the opening series. So there will be a lot of Cubs fans in Marlins Park, this not just for opening day, for, for the whole weekend. In terms of the, the season, uh, I you know, it's it's easy for me as a Cubs fan saying, oh, yeah, the Cubs are going to win the World Series. But, you know, now that's kind of a realistic thing to say, actually. And I, I've, got, I've actually got a Cubs-Yankees World Series on, on, uh, on my predictions list as well. Uh, that, that Yankee team, as you say, they got a lot of strikeouts there, but they certainly have a lot of home runs. I, I don't relish the idea of the Cubs pitching staff having to face Giancarlo Stanton in, in the World Series, but I certainly would take it. And I, I think that's the matchup I'm looking for. And that would be the matchup I think the MLB is looking for. I think that's the matchup that sports fans are looking for. Uh, as much as people want to hate the the Cubs and Yankees for their recent success, uh, what's your prediction across the league in terms of uh, each division? I'd love to hear. And do you think the Marlins will hit their Vegas over under of sixty six wins? Oh, boy, that's, <laughs> you know, I don't want to you know be negative to you as a Marlins fan, but I'm I'm thinking that's gonna, probably going to be the under. Uh, <laughs> you know, you never know, you never know how young players are going to react. Um, you know, they got a they got a good manager there, and you know maybe you can get the most out of out of out of the kids, you know, while they're in a rebuilding phase. In terms of the rest of the divisions, um, you know, I think the three divisions are about as much of a lock as you can think of for, you know, anytime since the, the three division setup has been been uh, instituted, you know, the Cubs will win, should win the Central, the Nationals should win the East, and the Dodgers will win the West fairly easily. I'm looking for a rematch of the of last year's wildcard game again with the Diamondbacks and Rockies for the National League. 
I'd love to see that as well. And uh, Marlins fans might be coming at you on Twitter. I'd be careful, Al. Uh, the, the the fans that are uh, still stick, sticking through through all of this have been very passionate and very uh, defensive over Jeter, which I do appreciate. Um, you've seen the respect the process hashtag and some of these things. And they'll go to war for this team. And uh, I do like the youth in, in the team. I, it reminds me a lot of 2006 and 2008, where those teams actually ended up surprising and winning – Close to 80 games in 2008, they actually won 87 games. It's the most uh, they've won in over 15 years. So it's it's been a pretty interesting ride with some of these teams, but you never know. And uh, I mean, you've see you've been on the other end of things with the Cubs, as as everyone knows, the Cubs did you know go through their growing pains as well. So uh, if you have any advice for Marlins fans before we part about dealing with some of this rebuilding process uh what would it be well let me you know let me just say i certainly don't wish the marlins any ill uh i just have been kind of mystified at the whole thing but you know maybe the process will work it's worked for the cubs it works for the astros there are other teams that are trying the same thing because of what the cubs and astros did and it looks like the marlins may be doing the same thing and it may very well work um they just have to be they have to be fortunate and they have to have good they have to have good amateur scouts who identify the right guys to draft then they have to have good player development people who work with the these prospects all the way through the system if they can get those kinds of people together and you know have a real good plan from draft day to major league you know they can have the same success yes it'll take two or three years maybe longer but you know teams have succeeded this way so i can't certainly can't fault any team ownership or management for wanting to try it and regardless, baseball is back, so we'll see you opening day, and uh, you'll be hearing from me if Jose Urania goes six shutout again. And, you know, that'll be, you know, certainly he's capable of doing that. And, you know, on any given day, uh, any other team can beat any other team. As I always say, you know, the, the best teams win a third of uh, – all teams win a third of their games and lose a third of their games, and it's what you do with the other third that makes the difference between winners and losers. So, you know, maybe the Marlins will surprise the Cubs and, and – and, uh, and play a tough series. I'm sure the Cubs are not going in there looking to, you know, thinking it's a cakewalk. They're going to look for play competitive baseball games. And like you say, it's just exciting to have the baseball season ready to start. Absolutely. And thank you again for joining me, Al. We're wishing the Cubs all the best and uh, just not against the Marlins. Thanks for having me.